Go ahead and stand to your feet, get to your seats. We're going to get ready to worship the Lord together.
so worthy of all of our worship, of all of our praise. No trial that we have can stand against the love of our God. No trial we have can stand against the power. He defeated death. He has conquered the grave. We have nothing to fear. Hallelujah. tries to roll over my bones when sorrow comes to steal the joy I own when brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken I won't be shaken 
stands a chance when I stand in your love and my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love and my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your Power that can save this power. 
Cause it stands a chance when I stand in your love And my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love And my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your tries to roll over my bones When sorrow comes to steal the joy I own And when brokenness and pain are all I know oh, I won't be shaken oh, I won't be shaken is so good. I just want you to go say hi to one of your family of faith. Tell them you won't be shaken. Hallelujah. He is good indeed. Amen. It is good to have you tonight.
All righty, let's get on with tithing offering. I'm going to give you can prep that. Uh, offering envelopes in the chair in front of you. If not, wave your hand around and one of the ushers will help you out. Well, it's good to have you tonight on this Wednesday night. Uh, I know uh, we thought spring was happening. Now it's going to snow tomorrow. Amen. So, but we'll survive. We'll make it. Don't give up hope. Doesn't it, the time change is like two weeks, doesn't it? Yeah. Something like that. A little more than two weeks. So, it's coming. Let me pray over your offering tonight. Lord, we thank you uh, just to be able to continue in our worship and our giving tonight, Lord. And I pray as we give, uh, your blessing is upon us as we're responding to the increase uh, that you bring to our life, Lord. Because all things come from you that are good, Lord. And I thank you uh, for the increase, uh, for, for the jobs that we have, the income that we have, for all the different ways that you increase our life, Lord. So as we give in our tithe and our offering tonight, we honor you with our tithe. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Bring it on down if you have it. Uh, some quick, quick announcements. We are finishing up this week. I think Saturday is the last day of our Sermon on the Mount uh, Challenge, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. So if you're in that, you know, keep on almost there. Uh, and I know at the beginning of the year I was challenging you to um, uh, jump into a psalm a day, and now we're challenging you in the Sermon on the Mount. So in any of those things you're coming across questions or things that are jumping out at you and you want to talk about, I'd love to talk to you about it. So just let me know. Um, tonight is youth hangout, so 5th to 12th graders, I think they already exited the stage left and went downstairs, so if you missed that, you can catch up with them. And other than that, I want to get into the uh, message tonight, so if you've got your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Revelation, and we are, I think, week four, uh, but I think we got maybe two or three more weeks after tonight on the book of Revelation. I know it's been a slow roll, I know it's been... Uh, maybe a little more academic than we normally do uh, when we're, we're uh, looking into the Word, and, and tonight will be sort of the same, uh, but I think it's important to catch uh, the context of Revelation, because to make Revelation accessible, uh, you need to at least have, a, have a, at least a loose grasp on some of this stuff. Um, Again, remember, I'm not going to recap. Remember, Margaret told me not to, but I won't recap. But just to say this, remember, Revelation contains foretelling, things that will happen. And it contains foretelling. And it, prophecy and foretelling is speaking to something, exposing, calling back to things that God has said. Uh, so tonight, I really want to get into uh, the way that the churches heard uh, the book of Revelation and some of the things that it meant to them in their contemporary context and what that means towards the foretelling of the book. And I'm not sure we're going to get through all of that business tonight, so it might spill into next week, so we're going to try as much as we can. So what I want to do is I want to put a historical context on the book of Revelation, then jump into some of the imagery. So we'll, we'll jump into uh, the beast that comes out of the sea of Revelation 13, following the beast of the land. It's also in chapter 13. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the dragon for a moment. Uh, so, so we'll hit some of these things uh, and kind of put them in a context of what it would have brought to mind and invoked of the people living in that time who heard these things when the letter of Revelation was read to them. Everybody understand what I mean by that, okay? So uh, Kelly, if you would, I asked her to screen... 
uh, at the gray screen, it says Caesars on the top. So I, I want to give you a little historical context. Now, this is my kind of fun night. May not be for you, but um, I want to put some context. So you don't have to change, you don't have to change your, your screen there, Kelly. Let me just read it. So Luke chapter number 2, if you have your Bible, keep your finger in Revelation. But go to Luke chapter number 2. I just want to read something. This is the story of the birth of Jesus. Read one verse to you. Luke chapter 2, verse number 1. Is everybody there? It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to all the world that, should, that all the world should be registered, and it goes on to tell the story of the birth of Jesus. Now, if you look up on the screen, notice uh, you got Julius Caesar, and right below Julius Caesar is Augustus. That Augustus right there is that person that was just mentioned in Luke chapter 2, verse number 1. Okay, so... Put a historical context, so you start over here, and then after Galba, it jumps up to Otho. Okay, that's a timeline. We just couldn't make it that long on the screen. So this is a list of the very first Caesars or emperors of Rome. Now, again, the, the empire of Rome, in its different forms, lasted a little over a 1,000 years, okay? Up until... What went on with Julius Caesar? How many ever heard of the name Julius Caesar before? It's famous, okay? Up until Julius Caesar, Rome was essentially a republic. They had the Roman Senate. They, they uh, uh, voted in the people that were simply running the country, okay? Julius Caesar tried to pull a power play and consolidate power to himself as emperor. It would be like somebody in our country trying to take over the democratic system and make themselves emperor. That's what Julius Caesar did. And remember what happened to Julius Caesar? He was assassinated. Uh, I had the unfortunate privilege of having two years of Latin in high school, and we always went over this thing. And, and the famous saying is, et tu, Brutus, and you, Brutus. Remember, he was being assassinated, and his, his friend Brutus was part of the et tu, and you, Brutus. So Julius Caesar was assassinated, okay? And... After that, there were some power struggles. The provinces were, were split up a little bit. But then comes along this guy named Octavian, who was adopted by Julius Caesar. He was his nephew, but uh, he was adopted by Julius Caesar as his son. Octavian consolidated power to himself as emperor of Rome, and he became known as Caesar Augustus. He was the guy that was in charge of Rome, the emperor of Rome, when Jesus was born. So you notice the time there. It's 31 before zero birth of Christ to 14 years after. Okay, so he was the emperor of Rome when Jesus was born. Then you have all these down through. Uh, you may uh, have maybe the, the name uh, Caligula might be familiar to you. That, was, that guy was particularly a nasty dude. A couple down from him, Nero. That may be familiar to you. Then all the way down to Domitian on the other side, second to the last, it's estimated that it was during the reign of Domitian that the book of Revelation was received, written, and sent to the churches. Okay? Now, there's a reason I'm telling you this is because this has to do with what I've been mentioning so far, the imperial cult. And it has something to do with how they were to perceive some of the images and symbols of the book of Revelation. And remember he said in the book of Revelation, worship is extremely important. Okay? 
So let me, let me try to give you a little uh, background of the imperial cult and why that's important. When Julius Caesar was assassinated afterwards, there was a group of people, or a certain group of people, that began to deify him. And they began to worship him as a god, adding him to the pantheon of gods of which they worship. So if you know anything about Roman gods, Greek gods, Zeus, and, and that whole business, they began to worship Julius Caesar, okay? Now, this is fascinating, okay? If you think about this, this is fascinating. When Augustus solidified power and he became the emperor of Rome, so even the senate of Rome was more... Uh, just symbolic in nature instead of actually having power as it did before all this stuff happened. Augustus Caesar was the one that really got the traction of the emperor worship and the imperial cult moving forward. It was with Augustus Caesar that the worship of, of the emperor and also Rome itself started to happen. Augustus Caesar, now listen to this, remember, he was the emperor of Rome when Jesus was born. He began to stylize himself as a son of God because he was the son of Julius Caesar. You think about that. And it was during uh, his reign that there were some wars fought and, and, and they won, and he was, he was being called the savior of the world. And actually, one of the words that marked his reign was he's bringing peace to the empire. You think about Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior, the Prince of Peace. These are things that are being attributed to Augustus uh, Caesar, the Emperor of Rome. So you can see how history is kind of drawing itself together. Very fascinating things. But with Augustus, he had no problem with people worshiping him or beginning to worship his image as it was being put out there. Now, but he was smart because obviously when his, his stepfather was, uh, or, or his adopted father was assassinated, it was because of jealousy. It was because about power play. Now remember when Jesus was born and Herod heard there was the king of the Jews was born, and he goes and kills all the babies. This was the kind of political structure and, and jealousy that would happen to the point they, they were killing each other over it, okay? He was worried that if people just worshipped him, that he was going to get himself killed by people that were jealous and wanted to take his power from him. So he allowed worship of himself as long as there was also worship of Rome. Now, there were some pockets that were worshiping what they called Roma, okay? Rome as the city of Rome, but it also kind of spilled into the empire of Rome. So the imperial cult that really gave traction with Augustus Caesar was worship of the emperor, the Caesar, and also worship of Rome itself. Now, what plays important into the book of Revelation, the worship of Rome uh, was in the form that she was depicted, she, as a woman. Okay? So you had the worship of the Caesar and the worship that was depicted as a woman, Rome itself. So, real quick, just throw up this coin that, uh, that I have in there, and we'll come back to this later. So this is a coin uh, that was distributed, that started to go into circulation under the Roman emperor Vespasian, okay, which was uh, Domitian's father. So this would have been in circulation at the time the book of Revelation went out there. So it says, notice it says Roma there, right? This is a depiction of Roma, Rome, and it was to be worshipped. 
It was in the image of a woman. Now, we're just going to get connected to uh, Babylon the Great, uh, the whore of Babylon, Rome, depicted as a woman. And we'll, we'll read that in a minute. So go back to that uh, other slide. We'll come back to that coin in a minute. So, so this traction starts to happen. And, and worship, as we were saying last week a little bit, worship of the emperor and worship of Rome became part of everyday life. Now, um, it was under Titus, by the way, so you get Vespasian. It was under Titus, his, his lead, that in 70 AD, while his dad Vespasian was still emperor, Titus was the commander of the Roman Legion army that went and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. Okay? So what's, what's wild about this, Nero committed suicide. And it, and it rolled into this thing, and we'll explain why this is important in a minute. It rolled into what's called the year of four emperors. So if you notice the next four, how quick it is. So the next guy, Galba, he was there a year. He was assassinated by a power grab. The guy that was involved in that, he didn't even last a year. He got so worried about his own life, he killed himself. Then you got the next guy, who was also assassinated, right? So, and then Vespasian comes. So you notice from when Nero commits suicide in 68, it's a year Vespasian takes over in 69, but he, he stabilizes the whole thing, brings power back and stabilizes it. Of course, then when he passes away, his son Titus takes over. When Titus passed away, his brother Domitian takes over, and now we're at the book of Revelation. Okay. Now, during this time, again, this consolidation of worship of the imperial cult, where it was in such a way that if you really wanted to participate in society, you had to participate in the imperial cult, which was worship of the emperor and worship of Rome. If you did not, there were things that were to your detriment that you didn't. So there would have been financial benefits to participating in the imperial cult, if that makes sense. And it, and it was very much a part of everyday life. So it, it was political, it was religious, it was connected to your work life. So, so the emperors, were they, they didn't see them as born gods, but... but through the life and the things that they did, they became God, if that makes sense. Um, so as I said last week, if you were a Christian and you declined in worship to the imperial cult, to the, to the emperor, to an image of the emperor, or to Roma herself, uh, they would give you a chance to recant. They, they actually believed Christians were atheists. It's just a wild way of looking at it. To recant of that and worship the God of Rome and the gods. Um, now, when it comes to persecution of Christians, we know that persecution under Nero was big. Actually, uh, a story about Nero was there was a fire in Rome that destroyed 10 of 14 areas around Rome. It was a devastating fire. So many lives were lost. They, they really believed that Nero himself was the one that had somebody start it because he just wanted to rework it and build it as he wanted. You can see the ego involved with these guys. Nero blamed the Christians. He said the Christians started the fire. 
That kicked off severe persecutions of Christians. They were taking Christians and putting uh, wild animal skins on them and having them attacked by dogs and, and things like that. So you read stories of the persecution. But persecution of Christians during this time really ebbed and flowed. It wasn't like this constant, all-the-time persecution. It really ebbed and flowed. There's a lot of debate of how much persecution was happening under Domitian. But you have to think, so Rome existed roughly 500 years up to Julius Caesar. And then after this last guy, it was another 400 years of Rome. So from here on, you don't see them. There's a list of, of Caesars and emperors that last another 400 years. And depending on the emperor, depending on the situation, was the persecution that was happening to Christians. But especially in the first two centuries, there was a lot of ebbs and flows of uh, the intensity of persecutions of Christians in Rome. And it had to do with the imperial cult. Now, if you read about it, it wasn't like they were going around door to door knocking you a Christian and dragging you out of your home. They weren't doing that. It was more like when you were discovered as a Christian because of not participating in the imperial cult, that then you would have been brought to trial and based on who is in charge in the local area, depending on what happened to you. You could have been jailed, you could have been flogged, or you could have been actually martyred. It just depended. So persecution ebbed and flowed. But it's important to understand is with Augustus Caesar, at the time that Jesus was born, the imperial cult really kicked off and got traction, and it lasted all the way for two or three hundred more years, where these guys were literally worshipped as a god. And Rome itself is worshipped as a god. Okay, so what does that have to do anything? So let's get into the book of Revelation. Uh, let's see. How about, there's some different things I, I could do, but let's just start with Revelation chapter number 9. Let's go there. And I, I want to just show you some different things. Now, as we do this, I think Al may have these. I don't know if Al's up here tonight. We had given these out the first night. I keep forgetting about it. See so if you can get one of these. They're in the back somewhere. Chris has them. You can wave your hand around. He can get one to you. Um, this is a... a timeline of the book of Revelation that would be considered a dispensational timeline. Now remember we talked about the different modes of, of interpretation of the book of Revelation our first night. There's different ways of seeing it. So a dispensational look at book of Revelation will take the book of Revelation and start in, in after the addresses to the church and they'll say okay now this will be an actual in the future historical timeline. This will happen and this will happen and this will happen and this will happen all the way through the end of the book. And that is in way saying that someday all of these things are going to happen. Okay? In a specific order. So uh, you got seven seals. And the seven seals are open. The things that happen, judgment is coming on the earth. And at that seventh seal, it begins the first trumpet. Now there's more judgment on the earth. Then you get, then you get this chapter 12 through 14 where we get introduced the beast of the sea, then the beast of the land, the dragons involved there, and you have this different stuff. And then, then it jumps back into the seven bowls of judgment. They, they look at that and they say these are as a literal order timeline. Now, you can see it that way. There's nothing wrong with that. Dispensationalist then draw from uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, talking about the catching away. They call it the rapture of the church. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 describes that also. They bring that into the book of Revelation. 
also seeing some things that are said in, in Daniel chapter 7, 9, and 12, and so forth, to get a picture of something like you have on that bookmark-sized thing. That, what you have, is what you would call pre-tribulation -ra pre rapture of the church tribulation timeline. Look at the book of Revelation. But when the people heard it at the time, they're not making that timeline in their brain like that. That makes sense. Things that are being said and being read to them are, are causing response because they're hearing that symbol and they're going, oh, I know what that means. And they're connecting it to history of what's happening with the Caesars right before them and in their time. Okay? So let me give you some examples of that. So Revelation chapter 9, and, well, I mean, let's just start in verse number 1. This is in the middle of the, the trumpets blowing. And, I, and the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fall from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. The sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then smoke came, from the smoke came locusts on the earth. And they were given power like of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, we'll maybe get into this next week or the week after. There are parodies in the book of Re Revelation that, that bring out contrast, and they're intended to bring a contrast. A handful of times in the book of Revelation, you will see about people who have a seal, a mark on their forehead. What's that the contrast to? Mark of the beast. So you find those that receive a mark of the beast in Revelation 13. But there's also those on earth that have been sealed by God as his. Who are they? The children of God. Okay? So a contrast there. So, so we see these uh, locusts coming up. And uh, let, let's pick up verse 5. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was to be like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people would seek death and not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In the appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. And on their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like that of human faces. Their hair like that of a woman's. And their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions and their power to hurt people for, now watch this, for five months is in their tails. They have a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, which uh, I think means uh, destroyer. And in the Greek, he is called Apollyon. Okay, so let's stop there. That right there would have drew a response from the people hearing this. Apollyon would have been a play on the god Apollos. And it would have made, they would have made that connection right there. The interesting thing, if you want to slow that, that slide back up to the Caesars, the interesting thing about this is that Titus, during his dad Vespasian's reign in 70 AD, again, he was in charge of the Roman legion that went in and sacked Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. Jesus foretold of that in Matthew 24. The patron god of this legion army that went in Jerusalem was Apollos. One of the things connected to the god Apollos is the locust. And it, 
and the time that they were at Jerusalem and destroyed the temple was five months. So they would have saw and drew from this, this, this locust thing was doing its destruction. It lasted for five months and connected it and, and, and led by this Apollyon. So in other words, there were things happening in their understanding of their life that would have responded to these images and symbols and had drawn things out of it in their time. So it's like we were saying, I think, the first night. The book of Revelation foretells, but until the times of things that actually happen, there will always be foreshadows and types of things that draw to it, right? And these things to them, as we'll get more into the imperial cult now, these things meant something to them in regards to worship and, and their interaction in society as it meant to the imperial cult. But this is just an example of something that would drew. That happened. We know that happened. We are in the open prophecy of the book of Revelation. They would draw that to himself based on associations with what happened in Jerusalem and, and the god Apollos and his connection to locusts and that whole thing, that whole ordeal took about five months or so. How many catch what I'm saying? Okay. All right, so let's do another one. Let's go to uh, Revelation 13. Let's talk about the beasts of Revelation 13. So you, you have this, uh, this flow of the book of Revelation after the addresses to the churches. You have, you have the seals and you have the trumpets. And then all of a sudden there's a break almost. And you get Revelations 12 through 14. Then after that, the, the, bowls, and all, the bowls of wrath start up. And it's kind of like this break here. Again, we see it, as I, I said on here, you can see it as the, a timeline of things that happen, but you can also see it in a way where the, the, the seals and the trumpets, they kind of overlay each other a little bit. And we find a kind of a break in the action with 12 through 14 where we get uh, these players that come on the scene. We have a beast that comes out of the sea. We have a beast that comes out of the land. We have the dragon. Okay, by the way, these are called, they're, they're nicknamed the unholy trinity. Beast, uh, beast of the land, which as we find in, in chapter 16, the false prophet. Then the dragon that's behind the whole thing, we know he, he's the devil, okay. Again, contrasting as we saw in the beginning of Revelation, the introduction of Father, Son, Holy Spirit in the first part. So again, a contrast, a parody that we find in the book of Revelation. So, Revelation chapter 13, verse number 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads and ten diadems on the horns and blasphemous names written on its heads. And the beast I saw that I saw was like a leopard and its feet were like a bear's and its mouth like, like a lion's mouth. And, and you can go back to, to the book of Daniel and see how it draws the imagery, some of the imagery from there. And the dragon, or the devil, gave his power and his throne and great authority. Now watch this. This is important. And one of the heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but his mortal wound had healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like the beast who can fight against the beast. So it's, it's uh, underlining the, the military power of the beast. 
And the beast was given a mouth to utterly haughtily, haughty, uh, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. And it opened his mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it is allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given to it over every tribe and every people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Again, worship is so important. Everyone whose name was not written before the foundation of the world in the Lamb's book of life who was slain. If anyone has a hear, let him hear. So who is worshiping this beast? Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the Lamb's book of life. So how many know we're all predestined to be like in the image of his son? How many know that? So how many of you, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? That's a good guard against falling into worship of the beast, right? Worship is important. Now, what's interesting, Kelly, slow that, throw that Caesar slide back up here. Nero committed suicide. Then you have the year of four Caesar, and Rome was in trouble. Power struggle, it seemed to be fluctuating. The people that heard this would have drew the beast with the mortal room, Nero, killed himself. There's the, now it seems like things aren't, it seems to be mortal, but things stabilized with Vespasian. They would have drew on the knowledge of Rome itself as the worship of the beast, emperor worship, is being pushed. And you're being pushed to worship the image of the beast, statues being put up, and things like this. They would have drawn from this. Let's keep reading here. Jump down to uh, verse 11. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like the lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all authority of the first beast in its presence, and makes, and watch this, and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. So Nero killed himself. It looked like it was going to go bad, but it was stabilized. Now the beast and the imperial cult and Rome itself is moving forward in power. It performs great signs, and even making fire come down from heaven to, all the, to the earth in front of people. And by the signs it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. So the second beast that comes out of the sea, as we see in Revelation 16, turns out to be what's called the false prophet. They would have drew on this, okay, we know this emperor worship, we got this beast, we're, supposed to, we're being forced to worship the current emperor, whoever it is, and even past emperors. The beast of the land, the false prophet, would have been the, the actual imperial cult system that was happening on their local levels. That you, there would have been, again, be, the practice in your workplace, the practice in living life, you would have been in a certain way with social pressure, pressured to worship the beast and Rome. So beast rising out of sea, we have the emperors themselves to worship them. Beast of the land, the, the actual practice of the imperial cult, the system of worshiping these. And we see that the, the beast of the land is constantly pushing worship to the beast himself. Uh, let's jump down to, uh, let's see, 
verse 16. And also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. It's called the mark of the beast. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for its number is the number of a man, and his number is 666. So participation in the imperial cult would have its benefits, its privileges. And part of those privileges would have been economic. Now remember we, when we were talking about the seven churches, I don't remember which church it was. Remember it says, for you are poor. Remember? There was a chance the reason they were experiencing that was because they were not participating in, in the imperial cult and the sanctions against them were hurting them financially. So this was a real alive thing that was happening in this time. Now it's interesting, the 666 thing, remember we said there's things that take on a life of its own. I mean, Mark of the Beast takes on a life of its own. It's directly connected to worship, right? You worship the beast, and so worshiping him, you receive this mark for the benefits of worshiping a beast. That's important, okay? If you take Nero Caesar in Hebrew, the calculations of Hebrew of Nero Caesar is 666. That's one way you can see it. Now, well, that's not what it is, but... This has been played with so much. What name is that? What does it mean? If you take the word beast and, and, and there's a certain calculation of numbers to do with it, it comes to 666. So in other words, there's a lot of different ways to play around with this. Just the point is, it is improper worship of the imperial cult that you receive a mark so you can live in the benefits of the worship of the idols. Okay? That's what this means. So... It meant something to them at that point because they were actually living in a time where this was happening to them. And these are thinly veiled uh, symbolisms. It, remember John was exiled on the island of Patmos. It doesn't say why, but there's a good chance he was there because they put him there. It's because he's sending stuff like this around maybe. He's openly against the imperial cult and the worship of the emperor. So they arrest him and stick him on Patmos. That, that's the scenario of why he's there. This is open disregard and push against the government of which they live under that was trying to force them to worship it. Okay? This would have meant something to them. So what's this mean to us? And we'll talk about this more in a minute. But what it means to us is that there may be a future time where things line up in such a way where these events are happening, and this stuff's important, worldwide. Not, not localized. Worldwide. Now, how many ever heard of the Antichrist? The book of Revelation does not have the word Antichrist in it. It's not there. So you have... 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, it's either 1 Thessalonians or 2nd. Let me look, make sure I got that right. Oh, let's see. Oh. I'm sorry. Okay, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Write that down, read it later. It talks about the man of lawlessness to come. 
Most people equate the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 as the Antichrist. Uh, first, John mentions that the Antichrist is already at work in this world, but it mentions the Antichrist to come. So people put those two together, and many believe that the beast of Revelation 13 that comes out of the sea that has the mortal rune is the future Antichrist as we foretell the book of Revelation. Okay, they, they draw that together. The emperors themselves were a type of antichrist because they started to draw worship to themselves. You see what I'm saying? But that's also a possible foreshadowing of a time that there will be an antichrist to come and help put into motion what we would call the end time events. And connected to that is some sort of a system of push to worship to him, the beast of the land. And there may be a connection that there's something that you're marked with to be able to participate financially as a benefit of participating in this worship of this Antichrist, all set up by the dragon, the devil. So in other words, it meant something to them that it would have drawn to events that they knew. But as we know, it doesn't finish the whole story of the book of Revelation because you've got chapter 19 and 20, 21 and 22 yet to come. How many catch what I'm saying? So these things are happening in their time, and they meant something to them. Let, let's, let's do another one. Uh, let's, let's go to uh, Revelation chapter 17. Here, here's another player character of the book of Revelation. Then one of the seven angels who had had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute, let's, let's talk about the great prostitute, who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of those whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns, and the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup for the abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written the name of a mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So in other words, within what she is doing, there has been martyrs of those who stood up for the name of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly, but the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I'll tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast with the seven hens and the ten whores that carries her. Now that beast is the beast of the sea at the beginning of Revelation 13, the emperors, the, the emperor cult. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. Now, here's something really interesting about that. You, you see the parody there. Jesus, God, in, in Revelation, they both said, who was and is and is to come, right? And here this beast was and is not and is to come. You see, you see the parody? You see the contrast? Now, throw me back that seizure thing. I'm giving Kelly a workout tonight. Here's what's super interesting. Now, if you connect Nero to 666, okay, 
After Nero committed suicide, there began this rumor, it may have been the very first conspiracy theory ever, okay, that Nero was going to come back, that he was not done yet, that maybe he wasn't really dead, or maybe he would come back to life, and he would come back with an army and overtake and become emperor of Rome again. He who was, is not, and is to come. Maybe talking about Nero there. And it would have drew them to everybody knew this. As a matter of fact, there were two different times in all this that there were a couple guys that resembled him physically, and they claimed to be Nero and tried to come back, and it didn't work out. But there, there were beliefs that Nero was going to come back and rule Rome again. Pretty interesting. And now who, who do we know that was crucified, thought it was done, but he came back to rule the nations? That, that's Jesus. See, you see the parodies there. All right, let's, let's keep reading. Let's, let's jump over to uh, verse number 9 in 17. This calls for a mind with wisdom. Now watch this. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman is seated. In Roman history... The mythology of Rome says that Rome was founded on seven hills. And it was the peoples of these seven hills that came together to first form Rome. So you got this, this, this whore, this, this uh, Babylon the Great, that is seated on the seven mountains. Now throw that coin back up there. Now on this coin right here, you have Roma, Rome, and she's seated on seven hills. So, so Babylon the Great, the whore, the harlot, is Rome herself. They would saw that. This, this coin was in circulation. Okay? Now, now watch what it keeps on going to say here. And there are also uh, seven kings, five of whom fallen, one is, and the other is yet to come. And when he does, he must remain only for a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but belongs to the seven, and it goes on to destruction. Now, let's, let's just jump off here. So it goes on to say the many waters that it said, that's the, the multitudes of people of which that this harlot committed adultery with. This is symbolic of the economic power of Roma. Obviously, Rome was strong in agricultural things and grain and grapes and things of this nature, but obviously trade was huge, and they were trading around the world. Rome at this time, Rome in its, in its great history, its great power, one in every four people on the earth was under Roman rule. That's how expansive the Roman Empire was. It was huge. And its economic power was incredible. So when it's talking about the harlotry of, of the many nations and the people that were committing sexual immorality with her, it is talking about the indulgences of excess of economic wealth. If there's one thing Rome was known for, that is an upper class, was indulgence of excess at the expense of other people. Okay? So these are just some examples. We could keep going. It's a little after 8 o'clock. So let me get to the point here. As we see the book of Revelation as a foretelling, as things to come, and, and, and some people see it, in the way, sort of like that this bookmark is, is a very time-laid-out thing. This is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, and so forth. 
at the time, they're not seeing it that way, but they're, they're seeing the things that draw out to them. That means this to us, and that means that to us. And, and, it, and it creates a foretelling of their time. So here are six things. I'm going to do it pretty quick of what the foretelling means that we can learn from today. Here's the first one. It's about speaking truth to power. Never get in bed with an empire in a way that you lose your prophetic voice to it. The people of Revelation at the time were being warned, don't get in bed with this so much that you lose your prophetic voice towards it. So in our context, in America, it is never get so in bed with a political party that you cease to have the ability to prophetically critique it. In other words, you're so in bed with it, you just excuse all the problems with it, and it's okay because you want that to be in power. That creates a problem. So that's the first thing. So we don't want to ever lose our prophetic voice towards what is over us and in charge of us. So allegiance, worship of leaders, of nation, of, of economy, of military power. There has to be a critique of the dominating systems of the day in a response to an alternative way of living in Jesus. So how, how would we think about that in America? So they worship the emperor, so that, that would be easy. Whoever the president is, that, that there's worship of this person. And there's, there's worship of then Rome itself. That's extreme nationalism. It'd be like worshiping the flag in our context, our American flag. That we don't ever come to a place where we have so much allegiance and worship of these things that we never can prophetically critique it compared to the kingdom of God. That they never become two in the same. Okay? That's extremely important. Here, here's another thing. The foretelling is this, that who and in what context do you worship? In other words, there is no room for idols. The idolatry of politics, the idolatry of social status, the idolatry of, of economic things, indulgence. That leads to the next thing, number three. That we never fall into an unquenchable desire for luxury, or an over-consumption uh, of material things. So Rome was very famous for conquering, wiping out, and say, peaceful times. Oppressing it by military power, enslaving what was there, taking all, all the luxury from it to itself, and saying, but it's okay, you have peace. That's what they did that we never get in a place where we have an overconsumption of luxury, which is what Babylon the harlot was judged for. Here's the next thing that we learn from this in foretelling. Rome and empire will be judged. Bottom line. Now, we know Rome was judged because Rome fell. It lasted a 1,000 years, but it still fell, did it not? Let's put it this way. Every nation, empire, kingdom, whatever time period it is that's called a certain way, every one of them is going to fall. 
even the ones that have the best intention, because all of them fall short of the kingdom of God. That's why when the kingdom comes, it's not going to recreate something that was here. It is a new reign and rule of the kingdom. All these things will fall. Let's see. So, so what, what are we looking for? What is the deal? That as believers in our time period, we are called as the churches to him who overcomes. We are challenged to a faithful endurance in the midst of any tribulation that we may face. Remain faithful. See, this constant push of worship of beast, and there's also the heaven scene where God at the throne is worshiped along with the lamb, uh, the, the line of a tribe of Judah in name, but then when they see it, it's a lamb that was slain. This constant competing for worship in the book of Revelation. God is more powerful than Rome and the emperor. And it's the same today. Amen. And of course, as we'll get into in a couple weeks, we are coming towards an end time salvation. All things new. This is the hope of all. It is the, it is the fulfillment of the the Hebrew prophets, everything that the Old Testament was longing for in its prophecies, we get to see in this time. So we see history leading to an ending of salvation for those that are sealed and marked in him. We see things trending towards it. Things are paving the way to it. Every day that we live, we're heading towards it. How many have been paying attention to what's going on with Russia? Okay, now if Russia invades and, and war happens, you watch all the end times people say, hey, and you're going to see stuff all over the place. Okay, take with a grain of salt. Okay, it always happens. Okay, always happens. Could it be if the puzzle fits? Who knows? You never know. But every day we're trending closer. The change of technology, we're trending closer. That if, if the end times are literally a foretelling of actual events, then they will be actual events. And at some point, we will find ourselves in them. But what the book of Revelation teaches us by what they saw helps us when we start to enter those times. Oh, I, I've already learned this story. I am not, not going to get into worship of, of other things other than God. I'm not going to give in the social pressure to worship. But by the way, uh, when it talks about the sorcery, that is the seductive power of Rome to draw you in to her and participate in her, her idolatry and, 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 and uh, her sexual immorality, which in its context is indulgence in luxury. That, 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 that power that, that is all through the scripture called greed. Okay? Now we have these four warnings that no matter what is happening in the world, God is greater. And that we must stay firm. So as they saw the beast as, as, as Nero and the emperor cult, that if there is another antichrist to come and things start to fall into place, you'll start to see the times and the seasons and, and you'll say, ah, okay. Don't worry. If there is a catching away before it, wonderful. If not, you're going to make it. You're sealed. You're going to be okay. Stay within the proper worship. Amen? And we will be saved. 
Now, I'll close with this. Um, those, those, I think I gave three or four examples. There's so much more than that. I, if, I, if I wanted to dig in, we, we spend a few weeks on this. If you are interested in reading more about how in their time frame they would have solved these symbolisms, there, there's a couple of resources. Uh, there's a work by a guy named Rick, Richard Bachman that's wonderful. There's one by David De Silva, a guy, uh, a theologian that's wonderful. I can tell you about those, and you can read more about those specific things. We just kind of dug the surface about that far. Only to show you that this stuff meant something to them at that time, and it, and it invoked a response. Okay? That's the fourth telling. It means something at its time in a prophetic critique in other words, exposing what's going on behind the scenes. So what we didn't read, so the one orchestrating this of the unholy trinity, you got the dragon, the, the beast out of the sea, the emperor cult, and then you got uh, the beast of the land, which is, is the, the systems of the imperial cult. The unholy trinity, just know behind all that is the dragon, the devil, and he's the one trying to make it work. The foretelling exposes it. That's what foretelling. It exposes that the enemy is up to something. But once you're aware of what he's up to, you got the means to deal with it. Amen? So when you live in a place of discernment, in simple discernment, watching yourself, watching your life, as, as the Bible encourages Timothy, Paul encourages him, watch your life, and your doctrine closely. And if you persevere in these things, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. And, and of course, Timothy was leader of the church of Ephesus, which was one of the churches that this letter was sent to. Watch your life and watch your doctrine, because if you do, just be careful, be in discernment about it. If you do, you'll save yourself. In other words, you'll stay within the provision of the salvation of God. Amen? Okay. All right, so again, uh, I'm going to pray and close here. If you've got any questions, jump down the front row here, and I'll stay for a few minutes and answer those. If not, next week, next week we're going to kind of jump out of Revelation. I want to go to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians 15, talking about the, uh, the, the catching away of the church, which has been turned to rapture. We'll talk about that next week. The week after, we're going to talk about the judgment seat. We're going to jump to the end of Revelation, and then we're going to, the week after, talk about the whole new creation stuff. And I think at that point, we'll wrap this series up. Sound good? Right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you uh, just for an opportunity to spend time in your word and, and just uh, kind of dig around a little bit, just pique our interest uh, and, and just bring a little bit of some definition to things, Lord. I know that didn't answer all the questions. I know there's, there, there's so much more to get into, Lord, but we just pray simply that we live in the discernment of the Spirit in all the times of our life. And we're constantly living in a way that is exposing the work of the enemy and living your strength against it. So, Lord, we just thank you so much for your salvation, for marking us, for sealing us with your Holy Spirit, that we live in you and we live by you and we live for you. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. We all say, all righty, everybody, get back Sunday. We're continuing the neighborhood. Be blessed as you go tonight.